Hey guys, today I am joined by three-point conversion zone Derek Rowley to talk some Big Ten football. And we all know that Ohio State, people have varying opinions on whether or not they belong in the college football playoff. That's neither here nor there. The point is now they have a shot to prove that they deserve to be in. So without further ado, we're going to have a bit of a breakdown for the Big Ten title game. Northwestern's a pretty good opponent for Ohio State to see. Very good, well-coached team by Pat Fitzgerald. So it should be a very good game. Where where do you where do you think this is heading? So um, there's there's obviously multiple ways that it could head, and a lot of it depends on the start that they can get. So if there's multiple storylines, obviously, and there's always three sides of the story, the truth, and everybody's own story. But um, I'm sure that Pat Fitzgerald will tell you the truth, and that they have to limit the possessions for Ohio State while. Con- Containing and possessing the ball on their own, and if and he tells you, uh, I think it was after their game against North or Illinois uh, last week, and he said they only threw the ball a couple times, and uh, that's not going to get it done against Ohio State. But like just at a, a quick glance at it, the only I think the the easiest way for Northwestern to uh, at least put themselves into the conversation uh, tomorrow or on Saturday is to basically limit the possessions and shorten the game, hold on to it, and uh, just hope hope for some quick for some breaks, some turnovers, and uh, basically just hold the win the time of possession game. That's the most important thing. Okay, so do you think even if OSU wins, do you think they belong in this title game? Because you've had – I'm sure you've heard it. You know, I've definitely seen a lot of people saying, well, six games really will not be enough to really qualify them even with a win. Right. Right. And the thing is, like, this is what you have to kind of break it down and look at. So, yes, yeah, six wins at that point, it's it's hard to gauge, and everyone's going to be like, oh, they didn't play enough. But the thing is, uh, it, it doesn't really matter because this isn't the same Ohio State un- under Urban Meyer. You're not going to force a system that barely gets you by. This is Ryan Day we're talking about here, and we saw the improvements from literally one bad game to Michigan State, like, after the Indiana debacle in the secondary, everything, it was clicking. It was completely different. Urban Meyer used to force things in, until it would break, and then they would make a change after a, a big loss on the road. Right. Like, these are games Ohio State's favored to win by 20, 30 points. Like, who cares if they don't play these games? Because this is not the same Ohio State as proven last year under Ryan Day. They've smashed all the uh, conference foes on the road, could have been sleeping games and not shown up. But they've done their part. Like, the, the worst thing for Ohio State last year was the weather. And that's, to be honest, they fumbled the ball multiple times against Penn State, couldn't get it moving against Wisconsin. And in those big games, they they hammered it home once they got on the roll, and they had no stutters whatsoever. I mean, the, the Friday night game against Northwestern last year was the one that everybody tabbed as a, as, a, as a sleepwalk game for Ohio State, and they go out there and win by 50. So this isn't the same, like, breed of Ohio State. This is a completely different thing, a different focus, and uh, – I know Urban Meyer's record against the rivals and top tens and, and top twenty fives is, is unmatched, but like Ryan Day is not going to take the, the the lesser foes lightly. Um, but in, in that sense, I just don't think it matters if they were going to play games. They're going to win by 30, 40 points anyway. If anything, it hurts them because they don't get to get their depth experience, and that was the problem with these games. Like they weren't able to put teams away, but they still win by twenty. But it's just you want to keep your stars in and, and coast out to the victory, and that's. Like if I'm Ryan Day, that's what I'm arguing. Like we're actually at a disadvantage because we didn't play those games. Like that's that's the way I look at it. But 
if they go in and they beat Northwestern, they have two ranked wins against what will be top 20 teams in the end of the, in the polls. I think Indiana is a top 10 team with Michael Phoenix with their defense, their number top 10 in defensive efficiency, points per possession, things like that. Uh, same thing with Northwestern. And if they go out and win, they've got two ranked wins. And I'm pretty sure Texas A&M only has one. Georgia has zero. Uh, the, the teams behind them don't have good wins against as many wins against top competition. Yes, they've won their games on their schedule. Great. That's good for you guys. But like, if you're looking at top 25 wins, Ohio State's going to have more than the teams behind them, except for Iowa State. But Iowa State's got the two loss in one of those two ULL on week one or two where they got beat, dominated by 17 by a Sunbelt team. So that's why I said it's teams behind them. Yes. Are they deserving? Yes. But also you can't just take away from the fact that Ohio state in what would be six wins has beaten and 33% of their games ranked teams. So that's, that's what I'm saying. You got to break it down in other ways and looking at the schedule when you have teams like Georgia who hasn't even beaten a ranked team on their schedule, who's ranked eight. So yeah, depending upon how the college football playoff committee approaches this um, with an Ohio State win, there still leaves a shot for other teams to make it in. I know you and I are of the opinion, that, uh, you know, with a, in a, a big win, to be more precise, yeah. they should I think be in. anything 14 points or better, because the spread's 19 and a half, I believe, when I last yeah. saw it. So if you can get within a touchdown of that spread, then I think you're good. And don't even have to worry about it. Like I said, if they win by at least 14, two possessions, then no questions, they'll be in. But the only time you really have to worry is if Florida's able to beat Alabama, if Notre Dame and Clemson have a really, really close game, Clemson comes out on top and say, like, Iowa State smashes Oklahoma by 40, like almost like what Ohio State did to Wisconsin. That's that's when you're going to have a little bit of a, a little worrisome. But I'm not worried about Texas A&M as much as I am about Iowa State because Texas A&M, they really can't do anything except go out and, and steamroll Ole Miss. But on the other side of that, Ole Miss's offense isn't no slouch. Matt Corral's good. They get points. Uh, Kenny Abo is a great tight end, things like that. So uh, just I just don't think Texas A&M, they might be sleepwalking. Like how funny would that be if Texas A&M goes Ole Miss and, or has Ole Miss and loses? Like we should be in, but we can't beat Ole Miss. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. So – you and I believe Ohio State's going to win, but tell me some of the keys for the game for them to actually be able to do that. So <clears throat> you got to kind of look at what teams have done successfully against Ohio State this year because uh, that's going to be what you're going to want to pick up on. And the thing is, when you watch like Rutgers and when you watch uh, even Penn State and Indiana, the thing that made them successful was not holding on to the ball in the pocket. It's quick passes. It's quick slants. It's off the ball and immediately going to the deep fade because you know Ohio State likes to run that tight man coverage, and you just hope for pass interference. You hope for a good throw for your quarterback to let your guys compete um, in in the coverage. And like it's got to be that, but also the gadget plays. You've got to basically outthink Ohio State. You have to be one step ahead. And that's what Greg Schiano was doing when, when, when Rutgers was playing Ohio State. Yeah. It was the gadget plays. It was linemen catching touchdown passes. It was throwback screens. It was uh, thrown across the field on special teams. You have to basically force the Buckeyes to get frustrated and then also use their own aggressiveness against them with, with those screen passes. Let them, like I said, those throwback screens again. Let them think they're getting to the quarterback because as of right now, Ohio State's front seven is putting the most pressure and they have the best pass percentage win rate um, pass rush win rate and like the whole FBS right now. And 
by allowing them to think they won that, you you might let them slip and, and pop a screen in there behind them. So you have to do something to eliminate the pass rush. And like I said, hold on to the football. And those gadget plays will start to frustrate the team. will start to frustrate the coaching staff. You basically want to get inside the head of the Ohio State players and uh, make them get a little bit worrisome about what's happening on the field. Okay. And inversely, to play devil's advocate, what does Northwestern mm-hmm. do? Uh, what do they need to do to be able to come out of this game with a W? Uh, what I think would happen is Peyton Ramsey has to play – a smart it doesn't have to be perfect it just has to be smart and it has to be like a deliberate style it's you want to get quick rpo things into there quick slants stuff like that um but like i said the most important thing in this would be to take care of the football if if northwestern can have zero turnovers and force negative plays and and then that's another thing we didn't really i didn't really touch on was the defensive side of it uh you saw what indiana was able to do by confusing ohio state by showing a bunch of people in the box running middle blitzes, delay blitzes. Like, you want to uh, mix up the packages. And Mike Hankwitz has been coaching since 1973. And that man's seen it all. He's seen options. He's seen air raid. He's seen football grow. And if there's anyone that could dial something up that is going to confuse Ryan Day and Justin Fields, uh, it would be him. He's he's been around the game for a long time. So if I'm Northwestern, you'd have to take care of the football and also – be deceptive on the defensive side of the ball and force Justin Fields to not trust what he's seeing on the field. Okay. So outside of the university of Northwestern, I'm not sure many people are actually selecting this team to actually come out of this game with a win, but it would go a big way into recruiting for Pat Fitzgerald. If he could put a win over OSU on the resume. I think that would definitely Absolutely. help. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like for that one, if Pat Fitzgerald's able to walk away, and like, first of all, I just want to say that I have like the utmost amount of respect for Pat Fitzgerald for what he's been able to do with Northwestern. Um, the fact is that seemingly every single year, I feel like these Northwestern Wildcats are picked to finish terrible in the division, uh, which is just it's just not right because they always play solid defense. And, and we mentioned Mike Hinkwitz already, but like he's been at the university since 2008. He's been there a long time. He's been through a lot of these Northwestern teams and like Northwestern, if you look back, like they get players to the NFL, man, they get like quarterbacks in the mm-hmm. NFL. They get some good defense players. Like, I mean, going back to like Mike Kafka and Clayton Thorson, who was really good recently. Um, there's a bunch of other ones that I can't remember the names off the top of my head. Both but drafted like by Northwestern, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No, no one, they don't have slashes there. Pat Fitzgerald recruits good football players and he knows what it takes. Cause he was one himself. But, like, to go back to your own modern like he does, man, and, and do this, this would just be an absolute program changer. And, like, now if Northwestern's able to – they've already been able to win two out of the last three titles for the Western Division and at least get to Indianapolis. And that's – I mean, that's as many as Penn State. That's Michigan hasn't even been there yet. Iowa's been there one time. Like, that's just a, a testament to the to program he's, he's running over there and – Northwestern, but like I said, man, you're talking about recruiting. This is this is a this is a pretty big deal because I mean, you've got where you're at in Northwestern. The the football, it's not a hotbed by any means. I mean, obviously, you see what the hotbeds are, but a win by Northwestern, uh, starting to get them on the map, ranked games. Once you start being ranked and having some games, like it's you're going to be on Big Ten more yeah. often. Maybe have some more ESPN games uh, on the headlining networks, but like that's when you're going to start to see players leaving from some other states to go play 
and uh, Northwestern, and that's going to be like your your Wisconsin, your Ohio. I mean, obviously we know Ohio is a solid place for high school football, but I mean, you're going to start to see an influx of players that want to be there. So uh, if they're able to pull this off, man, he definitely deserves all the credit for sticking with it and just helping this team get to the the point they wanted to be. Because uh, I don't know if it was from any help from Joey Galloway calling him the, the fighting Reese Davises. <laughs> they let that stick. That was their bulletin board material for a long time. I thought that was fantastic. But yeah, man, like, this team just comes out and plays. They work hard. I I watched all the Wisconsin game. I watched a little bit of the Iowa game early on in the season, and I watched all the Illinois game recently, just kind of seeing what they do well. And my goodness, man, they get after it. Like Pat Fitzgerald, he's just he's just a great coach, and he just tells them, uh, "Yeah, go get me the football." And and these these guys on defense, they listen. Yeah, they are definitely. You never want to underestimate your opponent. I know Ohio State has walked into a few of these games in the past and has done that in the Urban Meyer era. But Ryan Day, dude, seems kind of like a breath of fresh air. I know a lot of <laughs> fans and analysts alike were, you know, of the mindset that Ryan Day would continue on what Urban has done, not only schematically, but just culturally. Um, Mm -hmm. in terms of culture, he definitely has Ohio state has kept it right on rolling. You haven't seen many hiccups, uh, outside of last year's playoff game, notwithstanding and, uh, hopefully rematch between Clemson and Ohio state. But with that being said, you know, I would like to know, assuming that Ohio state actually gets into the college football playoffs, which team would Mm -hmm. you most want them to play? Oh, man, honestly, just because of the of what it would mean to both programs and not trying to dodge Clemson by any means. But if I had to pick like a team that I want Ohio State to play, it's Notre Dame because like you, you think about gold standards, no pun intended, obviously, with the gold <laughs> domes, but like Notre Dame used to be. The, like it used to be paramount they used to be the top of the top best of the best and like in my lifetime last time that Notre Dame was the top shelf material I, I really don't know if I consider their playoff run a couple years ago because like everyone kind of knew that they may have gotten lucky to get there they played the game they played the schedule and I don't blame them for that but um but back when Brady Quinn was quarterback, like that was like the last time. If there was a college football playoff, and I, I just want to hit on this, I know there's a little bit of a tangent. But thinking back about college football playoffs, playoff stuff, like I really think that that year back in 2006, 2005, 2006 season when Texas yeah. won, that was a perfect year for a playoff because that was Bush push year. Also, that was where Ohio State lost to Texas at home. If there was a college football playoff, you would have been looking at Ohio, probably Ohio State, I imagine, would have found their way um, back. I think, I can't remember if they lost another game, but man, that would have been a sweet playoff for Ohio State to get USC and Texas to get uh, Notre Dame because those four teams were probably the best four teams in the country back then. But like I said, like if I had to pick and choose, it, it would be Notre Dame just because it's good on good. I think that, and you're right, you kind of mentioned like getting that Clemson off of the back of Ohio State is just. Like it's a glaring thing that you just haven't beaten that program in all the times you've played them, and most of those contests have happened in the last decade. Yep. So, uh, if I had to pick and choose, it would be Notre Dame. I know it's going against what I told my the Notre Dame fans <laughs> that I'm friends with. That's all they're getting blasted. But, but I hope not. I, they've turned the corner since I last made my uh, smack talk in Notre Dame. The defense has actually stepped up to hold North Carolina. 
to no points in the second half in their contest and then watch what they did to Miami, even though I think Miami is a phony top 10 team. Um, but you still can't ignore 800 yards of offense almost. So if I had to pick and choose, Notre Dame would be my choice just because that's like two ultimate classic programs. Uh, nothing against Clemson because they've just really came on strong in the last decade. But that's your that's your two of your probably top five all-time programs right there going at it. And uh, that would just be something to see. You've got Ian Book, the veteran, and uh, great coach and Kelly versus the newcomer Ryan Day. And, uh, yeah, man, like I just, I just think that would be a great matchup because you're going to get pretty much the whole country to watch that game. And I think that would be a ratings, like, absolute – thrill or buster off the ratings because i think the highest ever watched game i believe was ohio state michigan in 2006 the the one yeah. versus two year there's like 21 point something million people tuned in i think if ohio state and notre dame plays two and three i think that this is going to come close because notre dame's fan base and following is just as much as ohio state's is around the country and they're probably two of the top three uh i'd say at least around the country yeah they have a big time legacy they don't get a lot of respect um you know if we're just being honest here and Maybe some of that comes with not necessarily playing within the means of a conference. Um, right. But, but they showed they could do it this year, and that's the thing. Like, they went to a conference, and they followed suit. And the thing is, like, I hope that narrative gets pushed aside because they say, oh, Notre Dame doesn't schedule people. But the problem is you make these schedules so far in advance. So you could have a team that's ranked, and all of a sudden yeah. they just fall off. Because when they scheduled – they scheduled Virginia – um, cause they played Virginia and Virginia tech. And I think back to back years, Virginia was not even good and they scheduled them and they ended up being ranked with Perkins at quarterback and they were pretty solid last year. However, they scheduled Virginia tech without when Virginia tech was ranked and they ended up not being ranked. So like, it's, it's hard to place your, your, where you want to play. But I mean, Notre Dame always has constants with USC Stanford on the schedule. They'll always play a service Academy just because that's just how it is with Notre Dame. Usually it's Navy. But, like, you can't knock them for being independent because they have to schedule so far out. So they went to ACC, obviously, this year and showed that it doesn't matter that they're independent because they can go still compete and possibly win a Power 5 conference. So uh, I think that the, the narrative around Notre Dame plays soft schedule needs to get dropped because they try to fit as much contest as they can in the 12 games as some teams have to fit in the 14. So that's just what they have to do. Yeah, they're on the rise for sure, for sure. Uh, what team? What actual player are you most excited to watch in this matchup, though? Uh, I'll start with Northwestern, just because we kind of went off there. And um, I like Peter Skaronski, their left tackle. I posted about it on my other page, and I know you've seen it. But just Rashawn Slater was supposed to hold down this left tackle position, and on draft boards, even after opting out this season, he's climbed up the ratings because people went back and reviewed what he can and can't do. And he's slated as the number one tackle on a lot of draft boards. And Peter Skaronsky wasn't even supposed to start. And he comes in and holds down this left tackle position and has been the absolute anchor for this offensive line. So he's got to be the key on offense because if Northwestern can't run the football and I mean, I just don't trust that they will be able to against Ohio state seeing that as, I think that Indiana has a, a decent offensive line. I think Michigan State had a decent offensive line, and they just could not get a push against Ohio State's front seven. And I just don't know if Northwestern will be the same way, but that means they're going to have to resort to throwing the football. And the safest way to resort to throwing the football is to have your blind side completely yep. protected. And that means that Peter Skaronsky is going to have to step up and have a big game. So that's for the offense side of the ball. And on defensive side of the ball for Northwestern, it's it's Patty Fisher. It's the constant. Uh, 
all-conference linebacker. He probably could have left last year and got drafted, but came back for another year. I'm sure he's happy that he did. He didn't like how things went last season. And that's your quarterback. That's your general on the defensive side of the ball that he gets everybody where they need to be. And uh, a lot of the time with Northwestern scheme, you're going to see a 4-3 look, but they'll slide linebacker out to the flat. And whether it be on short side, far side, Gallagher is the other linebacker that slides out of there a lot. But Patty Fisher is always in the middle. He's in there commanding the defense. And the read and react skills that he have are top shelf. That's probably top five in the class, I think. I just love watching him play. Um, but that's for Northwestern. And for Ohio State, uh, almost similar here, Pete Werner. Pete Werner can do everything for the defense for Ohio State. It's it, Man, he can guard anything, and that's that's what's crazy about it. Like He played when uh, last year when they had their, their bullet roll and they really only had a one high safety yeah. with Jordan Fuller. Pete Werner was technically like a hybrid position, and he played what would be like an in-the-box, strong safety type look. He guarded tight ends. He guarded receivers on occasion, can step out and guard running backs. And I'm pretty sure, if I can remember, I, I saw the stat line last year, and it's it's similar this year. Like, the passer rating against Pete Werner is the lowest against any linebacker in the country, <laughs> I believe. I, I'm, I know I saw a stat line last year. I think it's similar this year. And like I said, man, he's got to step up because if Northwestern's going to get success, it's going to have to be quick passes or like those fades. And you need your linebackers to to step up, put hands in the passing lanes, and also make good tackles. So Pete Warner's got to do his job. And then for Ohio State's offense, and it's kind of the storyline of the week, is who is going to be out for them. We don't really know. No name has really been dropped. They were supposed to drop it Friday morning. But uh, we don't know if it's Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave. All we know, they said star wide receivers out. So it's got to be one of the two freshman wide receivers, the X factor here for Ohio State on offense. It's got to be someone that is going to put up the numbers in the slot or put up the numbers on the outside. If it's Garrett Wilson that's out, you're probably going to see a lot more just two wide receiver sets, maybe an extra tight end because uh, Ryan Day doesn't like using that H-bag spot. But Jackson Smith Jigba, Julian Fleming, this is their opportunity. Those two guys, like I said, it's kind of two X factors, but whoever is taking the the role of those guys uh, is going to have to step up in a big, big way. And it it might be Cameron Babb. I don't know if he's still hurt, but I know he gets time in the slot. So just whoever's filling in as the, the wide receiver for Ohio State, because either way you're replacing six or seven catches in almost 100 yards with either of those guys per game. So um, – it's got to be one. Yeah, of Yeah, there's going to be a lot of ground to make up. Chris Olave for sure. If he misses Saturday's game, man, that's that's particularly a big loss. He doesn't get enough love when you talk about the top of football. Um, he, yeah, and honestly, like if I'm looking at Chris Olave, sorry, sorry, cut you off. I see Jarvis Landry. I see route runner, technician, body does not catch the ball with his body, and can literally is is un guardable at the line of scrimmage chris olave off the line is a nightmare nobody presses him for a reason and he's able to basically set himself up find his own route and it's just crazy watching him grow from his coming out party against michigan two years ago and then to what he's come into now like he is just such a technician he works the sidelines effectively he works the middle of the field well uh just knows where the zones are the spots are and it's just crazy and this is there's another program this is another ohio state three-star recruit ryan day went out and found mark pantoni mm. like the director is like just go out there and it's just ohio state is a factory that <laughs> yes they get the five stars yes they get the four stars but they turn out these three stars they go out and recruit frames and turn these three-star players into first-round draft picks like gary and Conley was an edge three-star four-star some places darren lee three-star athlete 
there's just a ton of them. Like Taylor Decker was a three-star lineman on places first round draft pick. It's just I don't know how they do it. Man. They are there. I read an article not too long ago about how highly ranked some of their uh, some of their staff members are, like their linebackers coach, and uh, obviously we know how well that Brian Hartline has been and what he's been able to bring to the table since since he's taken over. <laughs> Uh, but right. for sure, uh, and you you guys will never hear me speak down on Justin Fields, but I've seen a couple of plays where uh, Alave has bailed him out on a couple of throws. Um, you can you can literally just yep. throw the ball up to that guy and he'll find it. For sure. Oh, so yeah, no hopefully doubt. he's not the one being replaced. But if he is, we got uh, you know a couple of freshmen that are really going to have to pick up the slack. And I don't know why what the reluctance is with Ryan Day to really use that H-back position uh, because it was really a staple. I just think her- that, that we're looking yeah, – yeah, so I, I think I know what it is, man. And and you got to look at what's coming in in the quarterback room, and that's why. I really think that Ryan Day values the quarterback position so much that he is reluctant to let them run the football, and that's why Justin Fields this season hasn't been pulling it as much, even though the read's been there. I think that the offense is going to start to shift a little bit more to uh, like, look at, I would say the offense is going to start in the running scheme is probably going to go more Iowa state esque Cause you see Brees hall and you don't see Brock Purdy carrying the football. Like that's what it's going to start to look like. It's going to be pretty much designed run and without the quarterback pool um, to not allow the extra defender. I think zone splits are going to be in order. I think some more under center stuff is going to be coming out. But if you look at what is coming with Kyle McCord and what he can do effectively when he was out there, at St. Francis Academy, or I think that's where it was, in Pennsylvania. I, I get all my <laughs> Saints mixed up. Um, but, no, man, like, he – this is what he does. He won, He has the, the gun offense, and they run effectively from there. Like, he is recruiting quarterbacks now that are going to come in and not be forced to run the ball. It's almost like Spencer Rattler in Oklahoma. Like, honestly, that's what you're kind of looking at. Like, he can pull it if he wants, but you're not going to see – you're not going to be talking about Ohio State quarterbacks in the next couple of years as guys that are going to kill you with their legs. That's not what it's going to be. It's going to be mm-hmm. more pro style. It's going to be more pro like pro style attacking scheme. How they're going to get the ball downfield, and it's not going to be quarterback run. That's just what I'm seeing with how he's recruiting players. Because because Quinn Ewers, the 2022 class commit, he is not a runner. He can run, but that's not what you're going to use him for. Then obviously, they said Kyle McCord. He's not going to wow you with the speed. He can, but and then Jack Miller's the same way. And even though CJ Stroud wasn't listed as listed as a dual threat, he is not the, he, I mean, you saw how fast he is, but I mean, he doesn't want to use him as an every down runner. And that's the thing. I think that's where we're going. Cause under urban, you saw, okay, we it's third and one. What are we going to do? Okay. We're going to snap JT running up the middle. It's, it's, Second and one, what are we going to do? We're going to bring a motion with Nick Vanette or Jake Houseman, or I'm sorry, Jeff Hireman, back and forth, and we're going to run Braxton Miller on a quarterback sweeper on the right side. I think that is completely gone from this offense, and I just don't think that Ryan Day values the jet sweep. I think he values the, matura- the maturation of the quarterback itself, and you're not going to get maturation from a quarterback by running jet sweeps and things like that. For sure, no. And I, the biggest knock on OSU quarterbacks um, in the Urban Meyer era was that they, you know, they really didn't run that. Post-style offense, they really, when they got, you talk about guys, you know, Raxton Miller notwithstanding with the position change and all, but guys like JT Barrett and um, Cardell Jones, you know, they weren't quite ready for that pro style because that wasn't the play call. 
Right. And the reason I hit on Oklahoma in that, that comparison there is because look at what the last three quarterbacks they've put through. I know Lincoln Riley, he got his flack rather early, and I did too. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Like Because, I mean, it was easy to finish off on someone's product that they started, like with Baker Mayfield, obviously, and he working with him coming in from Texas Tech and Kyler Murray and whatnot. But Lincoln Riley put his own scheme to these guys. And, I mean, look at him now. Baker Mayfield, there's a lot of knock on him on certain things. But the way that Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield have progressed and now Jalen Hurts getting his start, like these are quarterbacks that attacked the defense. And Jalen Hurts could run. Kyler Murray could run. But they wanted to be pocket passers. And that's what the problem was with Ohio State quarterbacks with JT. You, They were run first almost. And that's the problem. They started to fall off. And when you couldn't – when it was obvious passing down, that's when – Ohio State was awful and passed and obvious passing down. Now with Justin Fields, they're not terrible. They have ways to attack the defense when it's second and, and 13 back in the day, like especially under uh, like with JT in there. Whenever we get a loss for on first down, even though we were able to run the football, if we did something dumb, like second and 13, I felt like, all right, we're going to punt in two plays. And now under Ryan Day, I don't feel like that at all. Like when Dwayne was there, I know Dwayne's been having issues, but – I don't think that's 100% on him. I think he just didn't have anybody to learn from. I think he needed the year to sit, and obviously Alex Smith is teaching him the right way to do things. But um, just that that can go away now. Like the Oklahoma quarterbacks, the way they are progressing, like I said, downfield passing attack, and that's what Ryan Day brings to the table. It's downfield. It's it's NFL-level routes. You don't see teams attacking teams like Ohio State does. Ohio State is having Justin Fields take ball, uh, from left hash, throwing 15-yard outs, comebacks to the right side of the sideline. Like Those are NFL-level throws. Justin Fields can make every level throw in, in, the, in college and in the NFL now, too, from what he can do. And, I mean, uh, PFF just released today that he is completing 77% of his passes over 20 yards. So to get the 77%, you've got to throw at least a good amount of passes because right. it's not just simple like by 20. So it's showing that he is pushing the ball downfield and he's doing it effectively. And that's the thing. Like, that's why I like Justin Fields. And if you have to teach somebody to, hey, look at your your dump route or look at your your tight end sitting there, I would take that over trying to teach somebody how to throw the ball downfield. Justin Fields can. It's just you have to teach him to use his eyes more effectively. And that's what I think that, that that's why I think Dwayne is going through a little bit. I think Justin Fields is quicker. Uh, because Ryan Day has the full keys to the offense, unlike under Urban, they ran the jet sweep still with Dwayne there. Because I mean, Paris Campbell's an absolute rocket ship of a of a burner. <laughs> You'd have to get him the ball, but um, like you're not seeing those easy completions, and like you saw a little bit against Michigan State when Michigan State took the downfield away. Like there is nobody in the vicinity of a bubble screen or a screen pass or a tunnel screen for Ohio State because they don't do it. So that's where. The game plan will have to develop a little bit, but it just shows that Justin Fields makes his money throwing the ball downfield and not the the yards after catch stuff. And like I said, that is teachable. Speaking of Justin Fields, you know, he recently was just named the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year as well as the Quarterback of the Year. Do you think with the lack of games played that he actually deserved that award or both of them? I think the verbiage of the award has a lot to do with it. Um, I obviously we just went on this tangent about Justin Fields, how great he is. But um, I think personally it should have been Michael Penix just because he meant more to his team than Justin Fields does because literally the times the backups have gotten into the game for Ohio State, they still score points. Like C.J. Stroud can scamper for 
50 plus yards down the sideline. Jack Miller can run his way. Um, they can throw the ball effectively too. It's just Michael Penix means so much more to this Indiana team and the way that he played, the way he fought against Ohio state should have at least put him into the conversation. Um, and I honestly just think that Justin Fields is going to be a shoe in just because of the, the name on it. But I, I think that if I was a voter, I would have put my money on Michael Penix just because of the value he has in Indiana. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, you know, as big of a Justin Fields fan as I am, I think the lack of games really should have hurt his case in regards to that. So I don't think it was, it was deserved. Obviously I think that Justin is the uh, more talented and better quarterback at this point, but I don't think he really deserved the award with the lack of the games. And right. to be honest with you, uh, you know, Penix, he really does mean more to his team. We saw what they did. Indiana put a scare into OSU, man. Yeah. And honestly, I'll say this, Michael Penix's performance against Ohio state, even though the numbers are a little bit like skewed, I think he was like 27 for 50 or 51. Like it's the completion percentage wasn't great, but if you take out the inclusion, just look at the completions he had, like, man, like throwing the ball downfield effectively like that, that might've been top five quarterback performance of the season, regardless of team. Yeah, it really was. And, you know, he really had a lot of people really rethinking how good our defensive backfield is. Uh, you have guys like Sean Wade who were getting lost in coverage in that game. Uh, that's neither here nor there. I, like I said, I don't think he should have won those. I really just don't think he should have been qualified to win either one. But, I mean, we are talking about a conference award as opposed to the uh, the Heisman, which a lot of people going into the year thought Justin Fields had a chance to win. I, that really, to me, is what uh, – if I were Justin I, – I know you will never hear a player say it's never about individual awards. But don't you think a little bit – of you know just a little bit somewhere in his subconscious he's just a little bit upset that he never really got a chance to win that award i imagine so i mean i i think i can't remember who it was that tweeted out but they said if ohio state didn't play it was almost criminal that we only got one season it really was fields in college and it would have been true so uh but i mean honestly the everything ohio state wanted to achieve everything they wanted to get accomplished with coming back to school and getting the conference and uh, stating their case is on the table. I mean, yes, did they want to play more games? Did they? Of course they did. But Wyatt Davis, Sean Wade, players like that, that came back, they could have gone to the next level. Uh, they all came back because they wanted to win a title. And then obviously the COVID stuff happened. Um, but this is what they wanted. And does it does it matter? It doesn't matter where you get in. You just got to be one of the four. And they showed that with the first year they wanted that's the four seed. Um, but everything's on the table. And they said they can go out there. They can, if they go out there and beat Northwestern handily and make it in, like this is literally where they wanted to be. And everyone's arguments are pretty much just, it doesn't even matter at that point. Cause once they're into the playoffs, then uh, that's all bets are off. And that's where exactly where they wanted to be. So uh, playing for another opportunity to win a title. And I think this is exactly where Justin Fields wanted to be, but yeah, it's just, I imagine that he probably feels a little bit of just, frustration with everything that happened the way the big 10 didn't have any flexibility and i mean it was just an absolute dumpster fire (laughs) i I use this word a lot but uh i just think that if if justin feels i imagine he's wired a certain way and i just think that 
there, there's more things to life than that. And I believe Justin Fields is obviously would favor a national title over a Heisman oh, Award sure, yeah. any day. So I think that yeah, that's definitely. the goal. Uh, championship first, team first, always. I know me, man. If obviously, you know, pandemic, everything going on, um, you know, an OSU. I'd be J.R. Smith on the Lakers, man. If I had to, I'd be like, there you go. Get Exactly. I mean, yeah, you still it. a champion, right? So, I mean, um, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, Big Ten not kind of dragging their feet a little bit. I know some of that probably weighed on him, but obviously, you know, as a player, and we we like to think of Justin Fields as this high character guy, and I think we uh we've really seen that he's shown that. So, I'm sure championship and and team matters most to him. Uh, but with right. that being said, man, what? So, I, I know where we're kind of headed with this. And I know what a win really would mean to both of these teams. But if you had to just, you know, put it in your own word, put in your own words, what would it, what would a win mean to both of them? Uh, So I'll start with Ohio state real quick here on this one. Um, For Ohio state, it's going to be like, I told you so moment. It's going to be like, see, this is why we came back. This is what we wanted to do. Um, This is four in a row for us. And like this is this is why we came back, and I, I kind of just mentioned it. Like players like White Davis and Sean Wade, like this is what they came back for, and this is the goal. This was the goal all along. They have it all over their uh, the the whack, the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, like the uh, like beat or get to Indy. That's the that's the thing for them. Um, and for Northwestern, uh, this is this is it, man. Like this would be this yeah, would be the This would be the one that'll like op- unlock the potential that puts Pat Fitzgerald's name in the national conversation. It's, it's just conference right now, but like if Northwestern's able to pull this off and show that they were able to get this done. And I mean, Pat Fitzgerald's name is going to immediately be tossed uh, to the top. Like, all right, well, Pat Fitzgerald, he's able to get Northwestern beat Ohio state. Um, let's, let's throw a bajillion dollars at him and see if he wants to come somewhere else. Like, like that's, that's what happens if, you get these these coaches and these players and that knock off these big teams, and that's why Matt Campbell's been so successful because of the season Iowa State's having. Like that's why his name's at the top because he's beating the blue bloods of Oklahoma and Texas. And if you can get Pat Fitzgerald to go out and beat Ohio State, like man, like that's. And, and I'll say this too: like obviously we as Ohioans have a a little bit of a bias towards Ohio State, and it's understandable because that's what's always on TV. That's what we hear in the local stations, like Ohio State this on the local news, but. If Ohio State was to lose to anybody, I think Northwestern would be the all like the team that I would be completely six completely fine with allowing that to happen. Like if Pat Fitzgerald and his team can come out there and beat Ohio State, and I don't think I would ever have any any questions or problems with it because if that's the person that probably deserves it the most is just because of all the the struggles that Northwestern's been through, the ups and the downs, like the the year that Kane Coulter was there, I believe it was mm-hmm. in 2011, 2010, 2011, they were, they were nine and three, I think. And they wore like a five sixteen shirt a lot because if there was five minutes and 16 seconds of game time, and that's all they trailed all season long because they, their three losses came in like the last minute or two of each of the games they lost. They'd have been undefeated had they not let those leads slip away. So they wore that five sixteen shirt, and that was the, the next year was when they started off four and zero. And Ohio State went there when it was number like when Ohio State was like top 
four and they were mm-hmm. number 16 i believe is when they went the the game with the really bad beat that ended with like the fumble recovery in the end zone but uh <laughs> but after that they just fell apart and then he had to build them back up and back down and then like i said last two years ago clayton thorson crew back up and then back down three and nine last year it's just a, a roller coaster of emotion and it's almost like like it's like a, a recruiting thing like all right we got the good recruits in and then we recruited a little bit less this time we didn't really get what we wanted and we're back down all right we got some good recruits and like it's just a wave and i just feel like pat fitzgerald of all people shouldn't have to ride this wave anymore he should just get endless success because of all the stuff he's went through with northwestern and the to, to pay it back to the university that he played so well for in the 90s and now he's a great coach for and i mean his winning percentage is solid for for what he has around him and for what he has to deal with in the big 10 like northwestern is the probably seen as one of the bottom four in the big 10 from like football revenue i'd imagine and and fan base and things like that and to be able to come out and compete with the big boys win the west beat wisconsin uh beat iowa and like handle your own and control your own destiny over there in the west like that's that's saying something man so that's win would be obviously a program changer but like if if he wins, then the seat's going to get hot because then the phone's going to get hot. It's going to ring off the hook. I know that nobody has phones on hooks anymore, but that's literally what would happen. Pat Fitzgerald's phone, the, the that was gonna be calls my next would not question. stop because he found, he found, he found the secret do you think formula with to be Ohio win, State. Do you think he entertains leaving? I know that's his all monitor. I know that would mean a lot to him. Do you? But do you think he would entertain? Um, I, don't, I don't think so because I think that the way he's recruited in the last year and like there's, there's players, there's freshmen making plays. Um, what's his name? I'm, I'm just looking up. Brandon Joseph has five interceptions as a freshman safety this year. Um, or, or red shirt fresh or is he red shirt? Yeah, I think he's red shirt freshman. Um, but, uh, like obviously I talked about Skaronsky, like there is young guys that are making plays and this system, like you saw what you can do. Peyton Ramsey, obviously the grad transfer from Indiana, was and that's another thing. This is a storyline that is completely forgotten about. Peyton Ramsey, the grad transfer, left Indiana, came to Northwestern, and now he's got an opportunity to right all the wrongs and all the losses he had to Ohio State. I think he lost. Ohio, I know he lost to Ohio State twice for sure. Um, one in Columbus, and then last year in in uh, Bloomington. But like, what a story for him! Like to be able to get this team yeah. to the freaking title game. But um, but yeah, man. Like I, I just think that. I think he gives it another ride. And and regardless of what happens, everybody understands that Pat Fitzgerald can work with the hand he's dealt. And I don't think that – I don't see Pat Fitzgerald as an NFL person. I really don't. Uh, It's just hard. I think this is why Matt Campbell's had such a hard time because he's looking for the right job to leave Iowa State. And it's going to be even harder now because Iowa State is now prominent. Like that's what I'm saying. Like I think that Pat Fitzgerald is too loyal to Northwestern to just leave after that, like two out of three. And – I think that he's the mentality of, oh, I got two out of three. Look, guess what I can do somewhere else? His mentality is, I got two out of three and watch me get three out of four like in a row. And that's why I'm, I think that that's where Pat Fitzgerald uh, is going to sit on this issue. I don't think he's going to leave. And I think that regardless of what happens, the fact is that recruits are going to be seeing Northwestern as two out of three winners of, uh, of the Big Ten West playing Ohio State again. And everybody knows what Ohio State brings to the table. But the fact is that Northwestern has controlled their own destiny and gotten there twice now. I think that that, that alone will get him more spotlight. And the fact is that like that's just only going to help him on the recruiting trail, regardless of what happens on Saturday. If he wins, like I said, more power to him. If he doesn't, then regardless, it's 
it's Northwest. Sure, they're the definitely right on the rise. Now, I wanted to ask this question because you know, you and I have a mutual friend, and I'm not going to call this guy out, <laughs> but I just wanted <laughs> to ask to get you on record saying this. Ryan Day. Oh, all right. <laughs> Is Ryan Day going to contemplate leaving Ohio State if he wins a national championship this season? Zero percent chance. There's a negative. Like honestly, there's more of a negative <laughs> chance that he leaves uh, than that is positive. And but obviously, we're not going to say names here. But uh, no, it's just back to what we talked about. Like he is literally in the. I would almost say call it year one point five of developing this offense because of the the off season programs and not being able to really do anything. So this offense is not really where it needs to be yet. So. I think that Kyle McCord is going to come in, and I really like Kyle McCord. I think he starts. That's just me. I've seen his stuff on Elite 11. I've seen his tape. I've, everything you want in a quarterback is going to be there, especially because it meshes completely well with what Ryan Day wants to run at Ohio State. And that's the thing. Like, There is a new breed coming in. When Ohio State is pulling players out of Texas, when they're pulling players from California, like Wyatt Davis in Texas, now you got Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, Jigba, now Caleb Burton. Like You are pulling the top wide receiver from the state of Texas for three straight years now, um, and you just can't ignore that. It's just not something that you're going to entertain because it's just like Nick Saban. And I know that this person said person uh, talked about, well, Nick Saban won a title. Yes, he won a title, but the year after he won the title, he went nine and three and then he bolted for the Dolphins. So like there's a reason that Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, and some of these other programs are getting these players is because I mean, and I've read it on Texas, Texas A&M on their 24-7. The, the people of the fan bases of Texas are mad because the players are leaving the state because they know that Ohio State is an easy road to the, to the playoffs. So if your recruiting success is so well, if your position coaches and everything are so committed and, and loyal, um, like why, why would you want to leave? And that's what I'm saying. Like the, the foundation is there because – Kerry Coombs is not going to leave. He already left, went to the NFL, played and messed around yeah. with the Titans for a little bit with Mike Vrabel. And, and I really think that that was just Kerry Coombs as almost like a mentor opportunity because obviously Vrabel is well capable of what he's doing in Tennessee, but why not take someone with you? And I think that Kerry Coombs is like, what better way to go to the NFL and just test it out and say, hey, I, I made it, and then to go with someone who's going to give you the job no matter what. Your, your former defensive coordinator, co-defensive coordinator with Mike Vrabel at Ohio State when he was the DB's coach and Kerry Coombs like, that's easy. Like, go to the NFL, coach some D-backs for a couple of years, and come on back. And now he's running the show on the defense side of the ball. Uh, like, there's just, there's just no – no way around it. Like Corey Dennis, he's going to stay as a quarterback coach at Ohio State because he's Urban Meyer's nephew. Like that's that's going to be a standard. Brian Hartline loves Ohio State, played great for Ohio State, loved watching him as a receiver, and he already did his NFL time. He came back, and there's a reason that players keep coming to Zone Six because Brian Hartline <laughs> has lived it. He went through it. He played in the NFL, knows what it takes to get to the next level. So until that foundation leaves. Uh, and, and still, regardless if somebody leaves, like if Al Washington wants to test it, and I think that Greg Madison could probably retire before Al Washington leaves. He's going to be the next man up, and it's in good hands. Your program's going to be, and here's your new, he's your new defense co-defensive coordinator, and then you just got to go get another linebackers coach. But he could probably still coach the linebackers. Like this foundation at Ohio State 
is so strong. And I think that the crew that is coaching there, I don't know if any of them have actually aspirations of leaving because you look at Greg Madison and, and, and Al Washington, they came from Michigan. They left Michigan to go to Ohio State. Like, why would they want to go anywhere else? You literally left and went to your rival school. They can't beat them joining fest, but guess what? Like, <laughs> you want to win games. Those guys were tired of losing. Like, it's just, I could go on and on, but it's just, I don't see it happening just because the fact is that the foundation is so solid. And yes, under Urban Meyer, I felt like it was a little bit different that these guys were going out and branching out, but they've all kind of done their own thing. I don't think Brian Hartline wants to leave and go somewhere. I don't think that he has any aspirations and dreams because Zach Smith, obviously there was a lot of things that happened with Zach Smith, but he was with Urban Meyer the whole time as a wide receivers coach, wide receivers coach, especially with him, Brian Hartline. I think he started a family. I think he might have two kids now. Like it's, it's easy for him. The job that he does, he, he's great at recruiting. He's great at teaching young men to be wide receivers. And like, it, it's just the, the foundation is solid and Ryan day is not going anywhere unless that foundation breaks. And as long as they are still pulling kids out of Texas mm-hmm. and California, the foundation is not yeah, going Yeah, Day is definitely building a legacy. Same with Brian Hartline. And I've really been impressed. Um, you know, obviously I'm impressed with everything Ryan Day has been able to do. Um, since. And Tony Alford has the easiest <laughs> job in the country. Hey, would you want to come play running back at Ohio State? Like you could ask any of the top ten recruits and guaranteed you're going to get one of them to hit. And the only one that missed was B. John Robinson. But – I can't blame him, obviously, going to Texas. But, like, that's pretty much what it is. Ohio State will get a running back every class, no questions asked. And it's going to yeah, be something I mean, in the top 20 because we, that's just how it goes. It and uh, these guys know, and these recruits coming in know that there's every bit the chance that they're going to improve their draft stock. Um, you know, we've seen an Ohio State running back go in just about every single draft, um, you know, over the years. So yep. I agree with that. I, and I think the transformation, the transformation for this team, like I've, I've mentioned a couple of times, the offense to no H back in the slot into a slot receiver. I think the transformation will be completely final when Ryan Day signs his first fullback. Then we can say, <laughs> okay, Ohio State's going back to some under center I formation stuff, and then uh, then we'll really be able to talk about what the old Ohio. Do you State think you think like. we'll actually see that? Do you think that's a possibility? I don't think he'll sign a fullback. I think he'll yeah. sign a bigger tight end yeah. to play fullback. Um, we could definitely see that happen. Um, that fullback position has been sorely missed <laughs> in the NFL. And essentially, though, like honestly, looking at how they're running the football the last couple of games, they almost have one. Like it's just the way they'll bring a tight end and just camp them out right behind the the guards and stuff in motion. Like you basically have a fullback like that. So, yeah, I definitely agree with that take i know the last time i had you on we talked about the running backs that ohio state employs um i don't you know Mm -hmm. i was just looking at a lot of the tape that we have recently and it's the weakest position yes um i didn't want to say that but you know you took the words out of my mouth to be honest with you because i think some of the predictions that we had going into the season have not come to fruition and why, why do you think that is? Because of what we talked about earlier, Justin Fields not pulling the football and Ryan Day protecting him. Because you, when every time they run that read option and Ryan Day or Justin Fields doesn't pull the football, you're adding an extra defender. And when they started getting successful is when they're like, all right, we're just going to bring some extra tight ends, run the football. And I'm, I'm telling you, I think Trey Sermon, just from experience alone, is the best choice Um outside of Marcus Crawley, obviously, I know I too is horn, but nobody acted like they want to come out and win the job. 
until Mayan Williams hopped in there the other day in Michigan State, he's the only one that ran with anger and aggression. And I would be surprised if he doesn't get a couple touches against Northwestern because it was almost contagious watching him turn his feet, get the ball, run somebody over, bounce off. I mean, he's a five foot nine, two hundred twenty pound wrecking ball, man. Like, it's just fun to watch. It's like it was almost how I got excited watching uh, Mike Weber when he was a young gun at Ohio State just run people over. Like, that's what they're missing. They're they're not utilizing the running backs in the way they should be. Uh, with like, you have people going east and west. Yeah, and Master guys Teague is going north, north south. Master south Teague is, is he is not a zone style running back whatsoever he is not he is just a forward runner you need to get him in a pistol set and literally have justin fields catch the ball either turn his body to the left or turn his body to the right have a guard pull and just let master teague run because once he gets ahead of steam master teague is going to run somebody over he should not be gaining less than four or five yards per carry when he's coming forward to the line scrimmage that's just a constant and that's something that needs to be fixed but trey sermon is your ability to get him on the zone get him on the outside let him do a one cut hop back he's got a good jump cut like things like that, they just aren't using their running backs effectively. I don't know if it's the the camp things that happen, but uh, like I said, Marcus Crawley in my mind still best running back on the roster. Once he gets healthy, he might come out and show it, but he may never get an opportunity because Travion Henderson will start day one next year. That's I think a big statement special. right there. He's it's the best tape of any running back I've ever seen. Best tape I've ever watched from a running back outside of Christian yeah. They're McCaffrey. gonna have a lot of tough decisions to make. Um, you know, in the upcoming season, I yep. honestly, I don't think they've been utilized in the correct manner. Um, Teague is more of a north south runner, like you said, and Trey Sermon. I really thought he was going to come out of the gate looking a lot differently than he has. Yep, but he was yeah. hurt when he left Oklahoma. So, and honestly, if you look at the numbers, every single game he's got better and better and better. And they pushed over 100 last week in the game state. So, like regardless of what we said it, it might yeah exactly it might be he's starting to realize his role and starting to understand how to, to attack the defenses in this ohio state scheme so i think that you have to roll with him especially after what happened in michigan state you take the hot hand i know that that's it but you need to start trey sermon because every single game we've seen him he's come off the bench let him get those first carry drives i completely agree um how you feeling about that noon kickoff time i know we you know we talked about how Really, uh, this isn't typical for a Big Ten title game in the past, but uh, how you about that? Uh, I don't like it, man. Fast track, the lights need to be on. It needs to come open after night. <laughs> like, we're talking <laughs> night racing here, man, but then they throw this noon kickoff. I'm actually going to be in the car tomorrow um, driving uh, <laughs> down to Dallas. So, Yeah, I was going to ask you, you're, you're central time, right? Yeah, I'm central time. So, I'm at, well, I've, I've, I've struck a deal with my wife, so... I told her, I was like, look, I drove us all the way to Ohio, 14 hours there and back a couple months ago. Um, so you can just take three hours out of your schedule. Go ahead and drive me down to Dallas to DFW, where we're going to be flying out of. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and watch Ohio State on my phone the whole way there. Thanks. So that's what I told her. So uh, <laughs> it was it was a good deal for me. Not a good deal for her, but uh, that's just how it goes sometimes. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, you ain't got to tell me, man. But uh, yeah, I'm not really... I'm not really too keen on it myself. I much more prefer watching it in prime. I know it's technically still prime time, but uh, watching it at night, it's just right. a, I don't know if it's just an aesthetic thing. But the thing um, is, but, I'll, I'll say this. This this is something that I noticed, and it's going to give everybody on the committee an opportunity because there's no other important games that are going on because you got Notre Dame and uh, Clemson starting at four, and there's some other games of 
teams that might need to uh, showcase what they can do starting later. And then obviously uh, I think SEC runs at the same time. I know they have like the, the a little bit later start four four thirty. So Ohio state is going to be the, um, the premier game. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. The, yeah. That, that noon kickoff slot, they're going to be the ones that are going to be on and they're going to be able to state their case to all of the committee personnel who are going to be watching them play. Yeah, you know, I hadn't even thought about that point. That's a great point. Um, Come out, make know, a statement early, and be like, "Dang!" And, and this is, a, and, and on the backside of that too, like they come out, make a statement, and then say, "Bam! Look what we did!" And obviously, this is just what we're thinking is going to happen. And they could come out flat, which I don't think they will. But like, if they come out firing, then they've made themselves a case already because they can say, "Yeah, regardless of how many games we played, please tell us in the rest of your games that you watched today who is going to be better than us." And that's that's the the thing they can put it in the minds early. Like my goodness, we watched Ohio State really hot start right away, and this team is solid. Okay, we have to now make sure that all these teams can beat Ohio State. And then when you have Texas A&M come out and look the way they have the last couple of games, like okay, I last remember watching them, they didn't look so hot. Uh, yeah, these teams aren't going to stack up. And then then you have I- Iowa State and Oklahoma play. And if Iowa State is struggling with Oklahoma, like I just think that Oklahoma is going to come out and have a great script to start the game because I've talked about this today at work with one of my buddies. It is almost impossible to go out and beat a team twice in the same season. Like it's very hard, especially because you watch Wisconsin Ohio yeah, State play in the Big Ten championship game. You can literally say, "This is what we did well. This is what we didn't do well," mm-hmm. and it's harder to try and pick out where a team is going to attack you when you have winning tape versus when you have losing tape. That's what I think. So I think that, and that's, that's why I'm mad that Louisiana Lafayette's not playing coastal. Cause I predicted back in February, we were listening to our old podcast. I predicted they were going to go undefeated and win the Sun Belt, and they lost obviously to coastal, but they could have righted the wrong and beat everybody on the schedule. And technically <laughs> I'd be right. No, I'm just kidding. But like things like that, I just think it's hard for a team, especially um, an Oklahoma team who is finding their, Finding their groove right now, and Spencer Rattler's playing good football. Uh, I think that they're going to probably come out and put 14 points on the board in the first two possessions, and then force Iowa State's hand. And that's just that's just what I'm seeing. And honestly, Alex Grinch finally decided that he wanted to coach defense, so uh, Oklahoma's defense is actually playing like they're <laughs> supposed to. So, okay, I have one last question for you before I let you go, my friend. It's all good. Okay, give me. Well, this is better, I guess. One. Gotcha. Give me a final prediction for this game. Uh, I'll just go with what I've been saying all week. I say 48-20, and I don't know how we're going to get there. I don't know if that's going to be a lot of points early, a lot of points late. But I will say this. When Ohio State, uh, played, North, or when Ohio State played Penn State earlier in the season, um, I have people, I have text messages to prove it. I said they were going to win 38-24. They won 38-25. So, uh, I can, I don't know why I just gauge these things. Well, I just do. I just think that 48, 20 is a good mark because I think the offense is probably, I don't know. It runs the ball better than it did in a couple of years ago. I think Northwestern's defense is better than it was a couple of years ago when we played them, but I don't think their offense is as good. Like not even really close. They can run the football. That's great. But Ohio State held Indiana to negative rush yards. They held Michigan State to hardly any rush yards. They stopped the run. And you're gonna force them to make plays in the passing game. And I just don't think that uh I just don't think that Peyton Ramsey's options are good enough. And like I said, that could be forty eight twenty as in 
34-20, Ohio State gets a pick six and then a fumble on 48-20. It could have been a close game. But I just think that that they're going to cover the spread, which is 19 and a half. And I just think that 48-20 is probably like the, the best bet for me. Good prediction. And lastly, who are the top four teams in the country? Who Who's going to walk into the playoffs? Dude, I uh, easy, easy answer is obviously Alabama at one, then Ohio State, Clemson, and Notre Dame in there at four. Dude, I just I really don't know because there's a lot of things that have to happen. All I know is if Ohio State goes out there and takes care of their business in the first game, early game, like they're in regardless. I don't think no matter what else happens around the country, if they win by my predicted spread, they'll be in. But like it just depends, man. Like like what happens if <laughs> Notre Dame like wins wins a close loses a close one, but I'll just say this. If Clemson loses, regardless if it's overtime, no mm-hmm. matter how close, Clemson will not be in the playoffs because whoever wins will have a better case because even if it's Oklahoma, Oklahoma would have a better case than Clemson at that point, even though, like, yes, they lost to K-State, and yes, they lost to uh, – did they lose to Texas that they lost to? I think that's who it was. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Who knows? But, um, like, at that point, two lost Power 5 champ, two lost non-Power 5 champ. That's what it boils down to. And – I think that – I hope Cincinnati gets there. I uh, don't think it's possible at this point with the way that they are just uh, up-channeling all the Power 5 teams. But it's not impossible. It's really not. If if Notre Dame comes out there and, and drills Clemson, beats them by 14, Alabama wins, smacks Florida, if Ohio State handles their business, and then you're sitting there. If Texas A&M struggles with Ole Miss and Cincinnati goes out there and throttles Tulsa and then say uh, – I don't know. Uh, like I said, I think that's it. And then Iowa State loses to Oklahoma. I think at that point, Cincinnati's in because you can't have two loss Oklahoma in front of Cincinnati who's got a top 10 defense, who has a top 20 offense, things like that. I just think that if it's this year, if things boil down like that, I think that Cincinnati has to be in. But I think everyone's kind of on the same consensus of uh, Clemson. Clemson's going to win, but not by enough to beat Notre Dame and knock them out. But what happens if Notre Dame loses by 30? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think it's going to get to that point because I think their defense is too good. But, like, man, like, what a what an exciting time to be alive. All I know is that if Ohio State handles their business, they'll be in. So that's not my call to make, but my call has always been for expansion. All five Power Five should be in, the champs, two at-larges, and the best group of five. That's, that's, that would solve so many problems. Yep, I definitely would go. I, I'm definitely a big proponent on expanding the playoffs. Uh, we could talk about that on the whole different episode it should have been done in the 2016 season because the year where usc and penn state were left out that was the year ucf was solid and you're looking at this would have been your playoff bracket it would have been number one would have been alabama and then uh it would have been clemson ohio state washington but then your five seed would have been penn state your three versus six would have been ohio state versus um would have been ohio state versus usc then seven, I would imagine your seven seed would have been UCF playing Clemson, and then Oklahoma would have been playing Alabama as the as the the ten or the eight seed. So, like that would have been the year for playoff expansion. But or the year OSU was uh, put out in favor of Alabama. That was a tough one too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, but Penn State was probably Penn State and USC were two of the top four teams in the country that season, and I firmly believe that Ohio State couldn't throw the football with with JT at the time so it was just it, it was hard to watch <laughs> <laughs> oh most definitely 
Uh, well, thanks for joining me, man. Mm-hmm. It's always good to talk college football with you. Yeah, man. Thanks um, for having me. Derek is a writer for the Three Point Conversion. Make sure you guys check them out. Head to their Facebook page. Make sure to like, subscribe, share. They have some really good articles on there. They cover a variety of sports. With that being said, you guys have a good day.